I was enraged with my father before he died. My father was the love of my life. I remember vividly being with my father, like most children, just completely, madly, hopelessly in love. Before my father died, I was highly enraged about him and wanted to punish him and wanted him to die a certain way. And then he died that way. And then I had to figure myself out after that. When were you called crazy? As a society, we often call women crazy to keep them in little boxes, to keep them contained. But I believe behind the women that are called crazy, they show undeniable courage, courage to take action, to heal, and to make changes to their lives for the better. Welcome to Crazy Mighty Ladies, a show about the courage that exceptional women embody in the most unfortunate of circumstances. I'm your host, Jingjing Tan. Today, I talked to Ana Del Castillo. After a childhood filled with violence and sexual trauma starting at the age of five, at 21, Ana left home to become a successful actress and singer on Broadway performing in shows like Les Miserables and her one-person show. Several years later, her father and brother were tragically murdered in a brutal gang killing. That event shattered her so deeply, she swung in the other direction and started, quote, doing everything right. She got married, climbed the corporate ladder to the C-suite level, bought a house. But no matter how perfectly she did things, she was miserable and dead inside. Tired of being unhappy, she committed to her inner rightness and created her life from the ground up, transforming the traumatic events of her life into a felt experience of genuine grace and perfection. She now provides that experience for women, teaching them that they can feel right in their own skin, no matter the circumstances or events of their lives. So Anna, maybe we can start from the beginning. Where about did you grow up and what was it like growing up? I grew up in Miami. Uh, I have a number of different cultures, Cuban, Turkish. I did my DNA recently and my last name is Del Castillo. So it's Spanish, Italian. I even have some, like there's a whole bunch of cultures. I'm Jewish. I like none of my cultures are quiet cultures, you know? <laughs> None of them. They're all like, you know, live out loud, you know, that kind of thing. First generation immigrant parents. They are a rags to riches story. And they were not, I wouldn't say that they were the happiest of marriages. In fact, I would say they, they probably should never have gotten married. My mom is this, she loves beauty, loves beauty. I will tell you a story about my mother and father that will encapsulate like everything. On their honeymoon, my mom, who is, you know, especially at that time, right, virgin, very innocent, like, she's at this gorgeous hotel in Cuba, where like, dignitaries and celebrities and stuff like this is before everything turned. And there, and my father, who also is a very dynamic, he was sort of a cross between uh, Desi Arnaz and Elvis. So like he was a very handsome, you know, man, 
both my parents were very attractive and he started to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat in a way that he would eat for the rest of his life. And my mom was like, what is going on? All right, whatever. He's an eater. They go walk in the gardens and my dad dropped his trousers and took a shit in front of my mom. I know that sounds funny, but like, do you understand like in these gorgeous gardens to me, if you knew my mother, you would understand how absolutely horrified. And that sort of was like their marriage. It's like anything that was beautiful, he sort of took a shit all over. Do you know what I mean? He was just a really dynamic, brilliant, in the house, violent, angry, scary human and outside gregarious and dynamic and remarkable. Like he was just genuinely a split human, had a lot of soul inside of him, but also was just like terrifying. And my mother was just a cowering, you know, being just couldn't handle any of that stuff. So that's the soil with which I, I grew up. And a lot of things resonated for me yeah. in that snippet, the duality of personality. There's a outside persona that your dad had an in, inside persona. And your mom, I, I remember reading from one of your writing pieces that she was OCD. And so I imagine like seeing public poop, right? Like from your new husband is just, he was definitely trying to press her buttons. And our, <laughs> our parents typically shape our life trajectories in significant ways. And you've mentioned that you've had turbulent relationships with your parents. So tell us a little bit about that. You know, in a system where you're not allowed to tell the truth, the truth, like genuinely, you're not allowed to tell the truth. The truth is, it can feel and sound like a, a rifle shot or a gunshot. You know, it can have that kind of effect that people are like, stop it, like, you know, like triage. And, and I was, when I was a kid, a small kid, I was so in shock and not in my body. The teachers growing up thought that there was something developmentally delayed in me. And it was so horrifying for me to be in the world that I just left my body for a long time and then found theater and then and found some other things and then started to be able to come out and stuff like that. Being inside of a family dynamic where everyone is conditioned, acclimated, rewarded, and punished according to how you prop up the system um, certainly influenced me. <laughs> <laughs> certainly influenced me. I mean, influenced all of the kids, right? So I was the third child, you know, the middle child, then there's the oldest one. He fell in line for the most part. The middle child fought a lot, but then eventually, especially after the oldest passed, fell in line and then genuinely fell in line. And I was the fighter. I was the one who just refused. Every family, every marriage, every relationship has a culture. And that culture is set in yeah, like stone. And the more people, the longer that culture is in place, the harder it is to dismantle. And so much so that people who are in it have forgotten what's true and what's not true. One of the things I was hoping to understand is your feelings for your dad was very complex because he was abusive to you growing up. Mm -hmm. And what was that like before he passed? What were your feelings towards him at the time? I was enraged with my father before he died. My father was the love of my life. I remember vividly. I, I can still, it like, I can remember vividly 
being with my father, like my, being with my father was like most children, just completely, madly, hopelessly in love. And then, you know, my father um, beat, he raped me throughout the years, like, would be, like it was just a, it was a scary, violent upbringing. And at the same token, more so than my mother, my father could be compassionate, a very compassionate, loving person. If anybody's ever watched The Sopranos, Tony is a monster and he's also this human. And, and what I loved about that particular show is the way they showed people not as these black and white villains or, or saints, but as like really complex. Before my father died, I was highly enraged about him and wanted to punish him and wanted him to die a certain way. And then he died that way. And then I had to figure myself out after that. How do you make sense of all of these conflicting emotions? So on the one hand, you remember all of the injustices, all of the violence that he did towards you when he was alive. And then on the other hand, you have to deal with the loss. So how was that coming to terms with all of these conflicting emotions? Um. I will give you the, there's no way to give you the short version. I, the short version is really hard, <laughs> really challenging. The, the longer version is the thing about those of us who've been raised in extreme households like that is that we are black and white, extreme feeling people. We didn't get our whole object relation or object constancy developed very much. We can't see people in the full human spectrum that they are. They are either saints or they're sinners. They're either our saviors or they're the devil. We also, when they're not in our space, we just forget them. They're just toys. You know what I mean? They're not real people. And so to develop whole object relation and object constancy later on, (laughs) like these neuronal pathways to create these things that are literally missing, There is a void within us, a psychological void. It's a developmental void. And our persona is what's in place. And when the persona sort of gets threatened, we start to feel this this terrible, threatening panic, like, like something like, like there's this black hole sort of feeling like the, like, as though like, get it out, get it out. Like you just want anything to stop this feeling. So when you ask me, how did you do this? I went to that and swallowed the enormous 100,000 pound cow and developed my neuronal pathways little by little, bite by bite. It was either that or die. And I apparently did not want to die. I did. I had a feeling of wanting to die for a long time, but whenever I would be like, all right, you got it, let's do it. I, I would choose life. And so I just did that over and over again until it finally, the black and white chasm in between got smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's a very odd feeling, <laughs> interesting feeling, but, but I've developed a lot of gray in between those things. And of course, you mentioned earlier that you've had to develop some sort of coping mechanism yeah. for this. Yeah. So what kind of coping mechanism did you have to utilize to be able to cope in this kind of situation? Yeah. So when I was a kid, I just left my body for a long time. I just left. 
I wouldn't talk. I was super shy. I shut down. I lived in a fantasy world. I showed if anybody is interested in, in or knows of any like personality adaptations, I showed schizoid. It's not schizophrenia, it's schizoid, which is different. And then when I started to become in puberty, leaving my body didn't quite work as effectively. And then I, I mean, I was a kid. I was, especially during that time, 70s, you know, there was just a lot of opportunity for people. There's still opportunity for, for people to take advantage of young girls, but there was lots of opportunities for people to take advantage of young girls. And, and so I had a number of those circumstances. And then I, I created a very strong defensive persona. And she's like, if, if sex is going to be a weapon I can use, then I will use it. I will, I will punish men with my sex. And I did. And I also learned how to psychologically and emotionally fight. The thing about someone who grows up in a household like that is that you learn how to survive. There are certain things that are hardwired into you. And one of the things that are hardwired into you is just like a, I've written about this in other places, but just like a deer or a doe who's like, like trying to drink water, but their ears are constantly sort of like listening for danger. We grow up in that kind of circumstance where we're always on the lookout. We get very finely tuned to danger. And so I can read and sense and get people very easily, but I would use that against people because I was like, if it's a dog eat dog world, then I'm going to be the top dog. And so that's how, and then some other things happen in that I couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> We were talking about trauma. I don't mean to be light or anything like that, but there has been certain things like I was very successful because I was like, I'm just going to win. I'm going to be, I'm going to be very competitive. I'm just going to, eh, 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 eh. and then of course, you know, if when my father, and my brother died, like there were so many things I literally, I could not be that persona anymore. I just couldn't. And then I had to learn how to, how to strengthen the, the very weak structure of that. I had to figure out how to strengthen that. It takes a long time. It's a lot of work, but ultimately you were able to decrease that giant swing into something that is a little bit more moderated that allowed you to get more peace and more acceptance. And it's been 22, 23 years. And mm -hmm. how did you go about that journey? What were some of the things that you sought out in order to make that transformation happen for you? Yeah. Well, first, let me say that I was so defended and Kevlar, like I had such hard emotional and psychological defensive Kevlar on me that nothing, I hate saying this, but it's nothing short of a large event like my father, my brother's murders would have gotten through. And what got through when I got that call at three in the morning that my father and my brother were both dead was that I loved my father. And that was, I could not from that moment on get away from that reality. And so when you ask me what changed, like, I hate to say this, but like genuine love, I couldn't make him into the devil. And also I had to live with the regret the day that he died, I had had this overwhelming, overwhelming desire to call him and tell him that I loved him, to call my brother and tell him that I loved him. I had, I had some deep into it, like screaming all day long. And I was so stubborn and so hard that I was like, 
fuck you no and then that was the first thing when i had that call i was like i didn't call him i didn't call him and so all that love that i had for him that i didn't know that i had for him you don't give the people you love the love you have for them and what is in the way for you is that rage what ends up happening is that when that rage goes all that love that you have rots it just turns into rot inside of you bitterness but at that time i was stumbling around in the dark i had no idea what i was doing and so i had been in and out of therapy and talk therapy and some instinct told me because it wasn't working i thought well it happened in my body i can feel it in my body i couldn't even leave my house i had like a panic disorder like i had so many things going on i was like let me do stuff that I'm terrified of. Like I just, when I started doing stuff, I was claustrophobic. So I would do things that were about claustrophobia. I would jump from a plane. I would like do all kinds of very, very out of the box modalities. But what I started to discover was that they were all body-based. They affected my body first. And so I came up with a cycle of, I would do all the out of the box things. I did a lot of stuff. But I was also attending my gestalt therapy. On some level, I was ripping apart my defenses. Mm -hmm. I would go into gestalt therapy and be able to start to, to talk to, alchemize, digest, be in relationship with, get to know my body. Like I just had no relationship to my body. And so I got to know myself that way. For those of us who again, we're raised inside of very extreme households. We are taught to suppress ourselves a lot and we are always at war. And what that usually manifests as or shows up as is we don't breathe very much. We hold our breath. We have sort of a, a tight, sickened, almost ongoing feeling in our stomachs. We don't sleep well. There's a lot of stress. Sometimes we actually have physical ailments. Some of us are, are dealing with like body pains and body aches. There's like all kinds of ways that our body is storing our pain and trauma like a, like a toxic warehouse. And over time, it is like, yeah, we can't do it anymore. And so I just was following this. I didn't want to feel panicked anymore. You know, I didn't want to feel that sort of sick like shove it down, shove it down, shove it down feeling. And the part that wanted to come up, I was driven mad by my own inner war. I didn't have access to a lot of my feelings when I was more, um, I was going to fuck you. Yeah. You know, when I was much more reptilian, you know, like when I was in my reptilian brain, I wasn't really at war. I was like, go fuck yourself. I'm going to do this thing that you're like, it was all here. I just followed the, the path internally of what will get me right and what will set me free what will stop this pain through therapy through talking it out with people and also through trying different things right jumping out of a plane and having all of these physical experiences were you able to tease apart the various you know physical barriers that you were building up what was it about the physical kind of sensational experiences that you were seeking that was helping you fill that hole yeah well i mean i can't think my way out of panic right i can't think my way out of grief to a large degree my father telling me to stop crying and then hitting me to stop crying, you know, is that is not where healing happens. Your body is the place that got hit. Your body is the place that got in shock. Your body is the place 
that remembers all of that stuff. When in the wild, animals, when they're when they're in shock or something happens or something very traumatizing happens, afterwards they shake it out. They shake it, and then they're able to like move through the world again, present. We never shake it out. And so I might want to go through life. I did want to go through life not paying attention. I got things to do. I got shit to handle. Stop fucking like, I know I'm exhausted. I don't care. I know that I'm tired. I don't care. I know that I, I want to cry. I don't care. I know that like, this is like, I don't care. I can only do that for so long. At some point, the only way to move through the panic and the, and the sorrow and the grief and the rage, I don't want to skip over the rage, is to actually turn towards those places and mother myself, parent myself, love myself, choose myself, care for myself, listen to myself in the way that I never got to before, that no one did before. To, to actually say, I see you and you exist in a way that nobody ever did. Anna, I know you also were writing quite a bit. You speak a lot in different conferences and you started your own business. You started your own coaching. How were you able to find courage to do all of that? How were you able to figure out these are the things I needed to do in order to continue to heal? I'm a rightness expert. <laughs> and what I mean by rightness is having a quiet brain that is not at war with itself, where you're not like constantly, you're wrong, there's something wrong with you. I don't wake up and walk around like that. And that to me is real power, where I can meet people in life and circumstances and situations, not with the baggage of my unprocessed pain, but with the woman that I am right now. The cycle of, especially when we've been inside of relationships where we've been love bombed, where they give us a crumb or a bit of the thing that we didn't get for whatever reason, right? They made us feel special when we never felt special. They made us feel seen when we never felt seen. They made us feel worthy. And like, we were like, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm loved in a way that I never got, right? If we get that, trust me when I tell you, if, you know, it's like Rat Park, right? We will press that lever for that heroin over and over and over again. And intermittent reward systems are highly addictive. So if you got the hit, if you got the high, and they give you the high over and over and over again, and then over time, they do it intermittently. They only reward you you know, once every three or once every five or once every seven or once every 10, you don't actually know you will be on that thing. And it's incredibly powerful. Your brain responds in a profoundly addicted way. So if you are a woman listening to this and you feel stuck, you feel disempowered, you are beating yourself up. Oh, for the love of God, please stop. At least for this moment while you are listening to this, please, like a tear, tears in my eyes, please just stop beating yourself up. You are working against very powerful brain biology. And so for just now, right this moment, cut yourself some slack. This is a challenging thing to work through. And so the other thing I wanted to also bring into the space and say was so many times when we want to make change, we want to make global over our, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lose all this weight. Or I'm going to run the New York marathon. I'm going to do when you haven't even like left the sofa or you don't even have sneakers or anything like that. All there is to do is to move an inch. 
have that inch be solid. Like if we're going to the gym, I, if I'm going to the gym for the first time, I do not pick the thousand pound weight up. I pick the two pound weight up. I get good at the two pound weight. I pick the five pound weight up. I work my way up to the thousand pound weight. And so every small win is a place to celebrate. And please, please, please don't undermine your journey by trying to go to the gym and pick up a thousand pound weight or go run a marathon. There are so many different parts inside of us that for me and my commitment to myself, none of those parts will, as long as I have breath in my body, this is my commitment to myself and the way I care and love myself. This is how I love myself. As long as I have breath in my body, not one part of me gets to be disenfranchised ever again and not have a home inside of the system. I will figure out how to accept and love and care for any part of me that comes up. And so when you say, how do I have the courage? I talk to it, listen to it. And I, I little by little, I can only go as fast as the slowest part inside of me. So while I have one part that's like, I want to do that, but the part of me that's just like, I want to leave the house. Then I, I, I hold the desire of wanting to, to, I don't know, let's use the marathon one. I want to run the marathon. I hold the desire of wanting to run the marathon while paying attention. I'm like, I hear you. We're going to get there. I promise. How we're going to do it is by all paying attention to the part that's like, I never want to leave the house. Please. It's so terrifying. I can't leave the house. I can't. It's so scary out there. It's so scary. And then I go, I hear you. It feels very scary. I, then I be with it. And then all we ever have to do is just, I have to love that spot. Love it. Love it and hear it and accept it without changing it. And just by loving that spot, it moves an inch. And then it moves another inch until the, the desire and that movement move together and then we move together. Yeah, it's almost like taking a number of kids on a field trip right? There's always going to be that one kid who is left behind having trouble keeping up. And like you said, the pace of how the team travels is at the pace of the slowest number. And the way we deal with this is not to berate them. The way to do it is to actually cater to them, understand them. And Anna, I know that throughout our chat today, you've had a number of wisdom, pieces of wisdom for women who are going through a tough situation, going through trauma the way that you did. If you were to summarize the pieces of wisdom for women, what advice would you give them to summon courage the way that you did? Courage. I have never been courageous without being very accepting and fully owning my terror. And I don't say that lightly. I have never been successful at skipping over my feelings. I, it just, I collapse, I end up failing. And so the way to have courage is to slow down and be with how legitimately, justifiably afraid you are. Sit with that. And when that part is ready, you take it by its hand and go, we're going to now take a step out. And I will not leave you. I will not skip over you. But we're going to take you out of the situation. It is in deep 
respect and relationship to yourself. And it has staying power when you do it that way. I feel the power of it, just as you are talking about being accepting of your own terror. It is how our family dynamics are set up. And the best way we can deal with it is to acknowledge and, like you said, take it by its hand. So Anna, if people want to find you online, how can they find you? Yeah. You can find me at TikTok, Anna underscore Dell underscore Castillo. Also, I have a link tree. I also have a class coming up for women. It's an ongoing thing about rightness and power, actually, how to develop it. And it's, 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 it's for most people, cost prohibitive to work with me one-on-one. But on a group basis, I want to make it available because I, I cannot have what I have not be available for people and for women. So there's all kinds of ways to get in touch with me. Amazing. Thank you so much, Anna. You've been listening to Crazy Mighty Ladies. The music in this episode comes from Lemon Music Studio. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider, be it Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon Music. And if you feel mighty, please leave us a review. You can also follow us at Crazy Mighty Ladies, all one word, on Instagram and TikTok.